This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bette Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello. Welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast, episode number three. Each episode, I will be featuring guests that are living boldly in the areas of health, family, and career. Today, I welcome a guest who is going to share her journey through foster care, adoption, and being a biological mom, too. Not many today can say they are all these things at the young age of 29. Christy grew up on a farm in Central Oregon, but somehow this country girl ended up in L.A. This guest is extra special to me, as she is my half-sister. She was born when I was 10 years old. Many people I know want to understand more about foster care and adoption. Christy's story is bold and beautiful, and I'm so excited for you to hear her story. Even if you aren't personally called to foster care or adoption, maybe her bold story can challenge our perspective and inspire us to live our big, bold lives. Hello, my dear and wonderful sister. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. You know, when I was thinking of all the wonderful guests to have on this show, I just kept coming back to how often I share your story and your journey. And I probably tell it very imperfectly, but I'm just so um, amazed how you've just walked this journey that to me is so different that I could have ever foreseen for your life, right? And so let's just jump right in. Tell us your story. Yeah. So as you know, and as you said, I am a farm slash country girl. I grew up on the farm in Central Oregon a very remote area and loved it. It was wonderful, but um, wanted something different later on. And because I was homeschooled, I was able to graduate really young and travel. And so I did a lot of traveling for several years in the later teen years. And that really started a fire in me. I saw things that were very different from what I grew up with and was really challenged with some things that I saw and some second and third world countries that I lived in for a short period and came back to LA to get a degree so that I could actually do something about the things that I was seeing. And while I was in LA going to school, I met a boy, as so many do. (laughs) (laughs) His name is Jerry. He was born and raised in Los Angeles and knew really so much about the ins and outs of, you know, people here LA and Hollywood and they think glamour and the movies, but he spent his time with youth in South LA, which is really at risk area. A lot of um, kids are um, at low income schools and just a lot going on. 
And I started spending time with him um, on the weekends and was really, I was really challenged with what I saw. My plan for college was to come back to the States, do four years, get my degree in social work, and then head back overseas. But I was actually seeing things in Los Angeles that were in some ways worse off than what I was seeing in the country that I was in was in, it was called Botswana. It's in Southern Africa. So I was really challenged and really convicted, actually that I was going to be going back overseas, relearning a language, a new culture, and felt like that's not what I was supposed to be doing. Somewhere in there, Jerry and I got married at the very young age. I was 21, super young. And then we started hanging out with teenagers in Los Angeles. And the last decade of our lives has been spent with various nonprofits. My husband works for Young Life, but we work with at-risk teenagers in Los Angeles. And so that's kind of where our story started and what the last decade has looked like for us. So yeah, and then somewhere in there, you know, as we'd been together for, I think, six years at the time, we'd been married for six years, we thought that it was time to start a family. And working where we worked and with the kids that we did, we had kids that came in and out of foster care that we were working with. And we got really frustrated and angry because it just seemed like there weren't good homes for these amazing kids. We kind of got tired of being angry about it and started asking some questions and did some classes. And somehow they certified us to be parents, (laughs) which is really funny, actually, because we felt so ill-equipped. And everybody was like, you're just going to like get kids and just know how to take care of them. And I'm like, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to read books and whatever and figure it out. But also, I mean, I just had a bio, my, I just had my first biological daughter. Um, She's nine weeks old now. And they just gave her to me in the hospital and let me leave with her. And they didn't tell me anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So how is this any different? (laughs) I know. At least I took classes and like CPR and like all this stuff for my foster kiddos. Anyway, so I just thought that was really funny because we didn't have any children, any biological children at that time. And everybody on the outside was like, how are you going to know how to take care of them? And I was like, I don't know, but I guess we're going to figure it out. Anyway, so I just think that that's pretty funny. So (laughs) our journey with foster care um, started about three years ago. It feels like an eternity, to be honest, in both good and bad ways. It just feels like this has always been our life. But yeah, so that's kind of our journey so far. Our first placement was with two beautiful kiddos. The youngest was seven months when we got him. His sister was six years old. And I'm not able to say their names for confidentiality reasons. But they were beautiful, beautiful, smiley, little toothless children, both in their own ways. And um, they were with us for two and a half years. They taught us how to be parents. They made me a mom and my husband a dad. And then along that journey, we were placed with two more um, incredible kiddos. Our oldest, she was 13. She's 14 now. Her younger brother, my son, he is nine years old. And so we had a very full house. Yeah, that's like, that was, that was craziness. So that's when I caught up to you. (laughs) Right, you got all of a sudden, I had five kids in nine years and I thought that was quick. And then my baby sister, not my youngest, but one of my baby sisters comes along and has five kids all of a sudden. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Yes, because that same year I got pregnant. And so five of us, or I had, I had five kids in the span of three years, 
that I had acquired through various means. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that, that was is pretty just fun. Crazy. <laughs> yes, our house was very loud and busting at the seams because places in LA are much smaller, at least than where I grew up. We were busting at the seams, but it was amazing and beautiful and wonderful and hard. But a lot of chaos, definitely, as you know, with five children. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. Christy, can I have a question? Because I get this question a lot. So I know you've kind of helped educate me, but when you were deciding to be a foster parent, mm-hmm. is there kind of two paths you can go? It, 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 so there's kind of like your foster to adopt path, yeah. and then there's just the fostering program. Yeah. Is that kind of, am I explaining that correctly? Yeah. So in each state is different, but okay. in the state of California, when you become certified to be a foster parent, you also have to get certified to be a foster adoptive parent. And the reason for that is so if you have a child in your care that was foster only, because the goal for every child in foster care is that they would reunify with their biological family, if that is safe and the best interest of the child. That's your first priority. If that is not successful, then you have the option to adopt the child if they become adoptable. And so with that... You're certified with both of those in the in the beginning. So if okay. that becomes an option um, for the children or your family, you don't have to go back, recertify, and then, you know, you don't want the child to be disrupted or in limbo. So yes, but some people go into it specifically to say, hey, we're only willing to take adoptive placements. So we're only willing to bring children to our home that, like, you know, we really would like to adopt. We'd really like a long term. Whereas you have other parents who say, we are in this to help reunify children. We're not in a place to adopt right now, or that's just not what our family structure looks like right now, but we would like to help and we'd like to foster. And so Jerry and I started as foster only parents. If adoption became the option, we were open to that, but we specifically wanted our home to be a safe place for kids um, in foster care because we felt like the children that were attempting to reunify or had a recently open case, we felt like those were the children that were ending up in homes that were not the best. And so the system in Los Angeles is just massive. And this is not the case everywhere, but we just were coming across places where the children were, just were not getting the homes that we felt they deserved. And so that's why we chose to be a foster only family. However, we did get certified to adopt our first two kiddos. They were plan was reunification the whole time. And we were aware of that. And we're very supportive of. And they actually reunified with their mama in August of 2019. And so that was a very hard, um, but also a very joyful time because that was what we wanted for them, even though I would have kept them in our, I would have kept them under me in my home Mm -hmm. forever in a heartbeat. We love them so much, but we wanted them to be able to be back with their mama. And so that's where they're at now. And We have an awesome relationship with their mom where she allows us to be in their life. And so we get to pick them up Sunday mornings and they're with us all of Sunday. And sometimes we get them longer depending on what's going on with them and their lives. But that's been a really sweet way that we've gotten to be involved even longer than when because their their case is about to be closed, hopefully um, on Valentine's Day. And so they are free of the system, we hope, but we still get to be involved long term in their lives, which is really awesome. And with their mom, too. And that's not something we really anticipated when we got into this. So Wow. Wow. Well, the biggest thing that when I share that part of your story with people is, first of all, 
they always say almost the exact same thing. It doesn't matter who I, I tell it to. They go, I just don't know if I could yeah, do could that. Yeah. Yeah. It would just, <laughs> it would, it would rip my heart out and yeah. it would be, you know, I could never give that child back. And, yeah. um, and then I share with them that you had these two children for two and a half years, not two and a half weeks, not two right. and a half months, two and a half years. Yeah. What, when someone says that to you, like, what's your advice to them or, or what do you, you tell them when they say, but, but how do you do it? How, yeah. how is that? Why did you sign up for this when <laughs> it's probably so joyful yet can be so heartbreaking? So hard. Yeah. Yeah. My response is, yes, I hear that. I hear that exact same phrase. It's, I could never do that. I could never do that. That's so hard. I don't think I could ever give them back. That's consistently what I hear from everyone. And I, I get it. That's a really big, like, you know, if, especially if you're already a parent, you can't imagine handing over your kids. It's, that's just, that's a devastating loss. And it is, and it was. When we said goodbye to them, when they moved out of our home, it was some of the hardest moments of my life even though that was such like, we still wanted that for them. It was a huge loss. And I get it. But I do tell people that actually, you could, because I'm not like, I, I don't have superhuman strength. I don't have a heart of stone. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it right. bleeds just like yours. And it hurts just like yours. And so if I can do it, you can too. But also the perspective that I challenge people with is that If that's hard for me, let's just put ourselves in my kids' shoes for a second, who are so much tinier and don't understand the world in the way that we are able to. And let's just think about how much harder it is for them to be ripped out from their homes and their families and everything that they know, their cousins and their aunties and uncles and their school and their best friend. They don't get to see any of that. Somebody shows up, puts them in a car. And that's all ripped from them. And they have no idea when they're going to get that back. So (sighs) my youngest was seven months when we got him. And so he was an infant. And so, you know, he's attached to mama and he doesn't understand who these people are and where he's at. And I don't know what his routines are or what she sings him at night. You know, there's so many things that, you know, when you leave a child with a sitter, you say, hey, here's a list of if they do this, then do this, try this. Mm -hmm. But we didn't get any of that for him. So if you can imagine the turmoil that he was going on inside of him. And then for my six-year-old, she could talk and she could verbalize some things, but she also had some really big emotions because she kind of understood what was going on, but didn't understand, you know, why can't I see my mom? And why can't I be with my mom? Why, you know, she got a new bed and all this new stuff. And it was just, it was hard for them. So I just challenge people to remember that there are kids on the other side of this and that I can put my big girl pants on. I can put myself in therapy so that I can (laughs) survive this (laughs) so that they have somebody to walk alongside this with them because I get to choose to do this and they don't get to choose that. So I just remind people of that. Oh, that's heavy and so good. Well, you know, I think that it's human nature we like to avoid the hard. And I Mm -hmm. think that uh, one of my themes for living boldly is do hard things. And we can't, in an effort to try to 
stay comfortable. We can't be flamingos with our heads in the sand and just think we're going to avoid the hardness of life. And I think that that is what's so inspiring about your your journey and your perspective is that you're not avoiding the hard. And you realize with that hard, there's a lot of beauty, but, oh, that's, that's just, and, and, and that's I love I your think, perspective. Yeah. Well, people, until you've experienced that, there is a really like deep seated beauty and joy that comes with everyday life when you don't know what's going to come next. Mm-hmm. I-, I felt like I was able to enjoy my kids in a way that maybe other parents were missing, at least in my circle. When you know you have forever with them, or at least you think you have forever for them, none of us know, but you think you have forever with them, you can really take for granted the little things and the everyday life things. And I felt like it taught me how to appreciate the tiniest little, the littlest things where, you know, when they're one between zero and one, you know, you're soaking up all those little firsts. I also got little first from my six-year-old and then eventually from my nine-year-old or he was eight when he came to us. And then my 13-year-old, like I have the first flower that my 13-year-old ever gave me, you know, like Mm -hmm. little things like that. I remember those things and I will always remember those little things. Whereas sometimes you can get lost in that and forget. And it's really hard, you know, and I still do. I think when you've, when you experience that really hard grief and icky, ugh, just hard. Mm. It does give you an appreciation for the beauty and even the small, smallest little things. So tell us now you have the two foster children. You've had them for two and a half years Mm -hmm. and tell us now how you learned about your two children. Now that you were going through the process of adopting, tell us about how that came to be uh, with whatever you can share. I know some things yeah. have to be confidential and then yeah. your decision-making around that, especially, you know, some, when they're going through an adoption process, I feel have a really black and white view of what they want, what yeah. age they want, right. even what sex they want. Yeah. And so tell us, you know, how did these two children come into your lives and how did you know that they were supposed to be your children? Yeah, it, it, it's pretty unusual to, you know, go into it adopting older kiddos. I know that that is an unusual part of our story. We had had our youngest two for two and a half years at this point, And we felt like it was time to grow our family, that we were in a routine, we were in a groove, Mm -hmm. and we felt like we could do more. And we also, like, we knew that our two were going to be reunified with their parents at some point or their mom. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, let's start talking to our agency and and see what's next. Um, We told them that we were open to taking placements, but we wanted a long-term placement, mostly because at first it was because we wanted stability for our younger two. They had been through so much disruption that we didn't want to say yes to a placement and then for them to be here for a month and then go, you know, our youngest struggled with severe separation anxiety. And so we just didn't want to do that again with him. And and we were ready to say like, yeah, it's a long term. And so we just told them that we were open to, we trusted our social worker and our agency. We had an incredible agency and we said, hey, we have 
the space. And we love to take a sibling set because we had done a sibling set before we had seen the bond. Like it was something that they could come into care with, like knowing each other. Mm -hmm. That was a really big deal versus, and, and also sibling sets typically they don't always get adopted together or placed together. And that really bothered us. And so we really wanted to have a sibling set. And so we just, we left it open and both my husband and I have always worked with teenagers and we had always wanted to do teens, but because of our age, we had said maybe right now isn't the time because our age difference wasn't that much. Right. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't really want to be mom to somebody who was five years younger than me. That was probably not (laughs) the best idea. (laughs) And so we had said younger kiddos, but we just had said, you know, we were open. Anyway, so we started getting calls from the placement worker at our agency and the way it works is they call you. And they say, hey, I have two children ages this and this, boy and girl or boy and whatever. And then they give you maybe a couple sentences and they say, okay, can you say yes or no? And you have a couple minutes to say yes or no. It's really stressful. (laughs) And sometimes you don't know anything and you're not making a long-term life commitment. There are other things in place so that the adoption is successful. But in that moment, like you have, like you just have a little bit of time. And so Jerry and I had talked about, you know, what we were willing to say yes to. And, and essentially it was pretty open. We said yes to five placements, five children before. It was actually seven children, but um, five different calls. And each one kept falling through. We would say yes. And then we thought we were moving forward with it. And then it would fall through. We'd say yes, it fell through. Yes, it fell through. And I was getting really frustrated because... Right now in Los Angeles, there's almost 40,000 children in the foster care system. A great portion of those. 40,000. Yes. Yes. We just went through the holidays. There's always a huge peak in the holidays. Typically, it sits around 34,000, 36,000 kids in foster care in LA alone, which is insane. Like that's larger than the town I grew up in. Much larger. Yeah. So anyways, I was really frustrated because I knew there are so many kids that needed good homes. And I was like, okay, God, we have said yes, and we have opened our home. And I just keep saying yes, and the door keeps getting shut. What is up with this? And so I was alone in my kitchen after I had just gotten the final, hey, it didn't work out. I'll call you later, you know, click. And I was saying, well, maybe we're just supposed to close our home right now. Maybe this isn't what's, what's right. And as as I said that, I kid you not, (laughs) my email dinged on my phone and it was from our social worker. And he said, uh, I'll just say CNA are just came up for adoption. Will you take them? We had known about these two kids because they were on our social workers caseload. And he had talked about what incredible kids they were, but like what uh, their story is just so hard. And it broke my heart. And we had been praying for them for over a year not for them to come to us, just for them knowing their story and knowing how hard it was and just fearful of what their future would be. Anyway, so he sent us that email and I laughed (laughs) because I was like, okay, I I get it. I guess they're supposed to be ours. Like this is, this is, I don't know how you get clearer than this. Right. And so I immediately called Jerry and it was an easy, yeah, we're in. And so we didn't go into it saying, send us a 13-year-old and an, and an eight-year-old. <laughs> it just, it happened that way. And it felt really natural because we we knew some about them and their story. And anyways, so yeah, that's how they, like we said yes. And then it's a whole mess of paperwork and meetings and social workers and all these people that you have to go through. And 
But we finally got to meet them in November 1st of 2018 was when we first met them. And it was amazing. And they were beautiful. And it was really, really cool. I'll never forget that. Just the same way that like I replay my birth story of like my biological daughter. I remember walking into that room and the feelings that I felt and like what it smelled like and what she looked like and the way her face lit up. And it just was a really, really cool day. And then they moved in with us January 4th of 2019. And we're just in the long process of finalizing their adoption. We're hoping that that will be final this year, hopefully this summer. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please, subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. Oh my gosh, I feel like I have so many questions and (laughs) comments, and I just am feeling all this with you. So you're going through this adoption process. You're, the other two have reunified with mom. Yeah. Tell me, is another question you get a lot, do people often ask you if the reason you became a foster parent or adoptive mom, do they ask you if you couldn't have children biologically? Do you ever get asked that? Absolutely. All the time. It's actually pretty, uh, it amazed me how bold people were. And I don't think in yes. a good way. <laughs> right, right. This is not this a, a good bold. bold don't be yes. like this bold. Not this kind of bold. <laughs> yeah, people would often almost immediately say, oh, can you not have kids of your own? Which first of all, they are my own. Just for the record, even though they're I love not that. biologically. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that correction. So yeah, people would often ask us and we would just say, well, we haven't tried and we wanted to build our family this way. This is what we wanted our family to look like. And for us, it just was a, it was a really natural progression. I think really similar to, you know, we were in it. It wasn't this big, scary thing. It was this thing we were taking slow steps into throughout the process, you know, we weren't ready to say yes to adoption at first. And once we knew the system and we knew the ins and outs, it was then we were ready to say yes to adoption, you know, so we had waited our way in already. Whereas I think you do the same thing with making the choice to start your family with a biological child. That's a progression of getting your career in order or your money or your housing or whatever it is. We did all those things, but we built our family just differently. And so we would tell people that, I don't know. We haven't tried. Uh, we right. just say I don't know. But I also, you know, it would it would frustrate me on a, on a, another level though because I do have friends that struggle with infertility and and that can be a really painful subject. And so I, I just couldn't imagine if I was sh- like trying and and that wasn't working out. If I had mm-hmm. to say I don't know or no or if I had just to be answered answering that question a lot. So I just encourage you if you are wondering, and it's okay, like we want to answer questions. I want to talk about my life. I think it's really beautiful. And I think that I I want people to be a part of that. 
I would just encourage people to ask, like, how did you get here? What tell me about your story? You know, so anyways, so it turns out um, we were able to get pregnant because we did. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, we started trying sort of it was, I wouldn't say started trying it was more like a lapse in judgment. Um, (laughs) I'm able to say that here. (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> and sure enough, and that's how um, our youngest daughter came along. At that point, we had all five kids, and uh, well, she was in my tummy, and we had the four. And I was really nervous, actually, because I in no way wanted to jeopardize my relationship with my children. I in no way wanted them to feel like they weren't good enough, and, and that's why we hadn't really like made the plan to try and have biological children was because one, they were so like, my children were enough for me. And I would have been fine, never trying for a biological child that would have been okay with me. And so I just was really fearful of how they would take that. So that was one of my first things. When I first found out and realized that I was pregnant, I was so nervous to tell the kids because I was excited, but I was also like, oh, I just don't want them, you know, because a lot of people got a little, some people can get more excited for the biological children versus the non. And I just really wanted my kids to know that they were, they were enough for us. I was pleasantly surprised when we did tell them they were ecstatic and over the moon. And I really just let them lead with the whole pregnancy and like, if we were going to throw a shower or not, I wasn't going to do that because I didn't want to make a big hoopla about the baby, but they wanted to, they wanted to do the shower and the gender reveal and all this stuff. And it was really, really sweet. And now <sighs> it's the most incredible, it's the most incredible bond that they have. And it's been the most joy that I've had. I think that I've ever had of seeing the way my kids are bonding now and the way my big kids just like protect and love on and just soak up the baby. It's so beautiful. And I think it's been healing for them too, in a lot of ways. So anyways, and it's special too, because I have a big sister who's 10 years older than me. And, (laughs) and my kids now are, um, our son is nine years older than the baby. And then our daughter is 14 years older than her. And so I get a little picture of their future and think about like how they're going to get to take their baby sister on dates one day, just like my sister took me on dates. It's going to be so cool. Oh, well, <laughs> that's actually an encouragement I always give people because I think sometimes in our another human part of us is that we want to control everything, right? Mm-hmm. And we have this view of what is the best way to do it. Right. And some of that is well, we want to have a kid every two to three years and we want, oh, I don't want to have, I don't want to have another kid now, or I don't want to adopt a child because then there'd be such a large age gap Mm. or, you know, I love sharing, you know, our family's story, which I'm not going to dive into big today, but, you know, my parents you know, we're divorced when I was very young and my dad remarried and my mom remarried and my dad remarried Christy's mom and then proceeded to have Christy and Carrie and my brother Garrett and my mom and John had my brother Jack. And in so many ways, even though they were so much younger than me, they brought so much beauty to my life. And really, I will be forever grateful. And so I guess the challenge sometimes I think we we all need to reflect on is that 
we may have an idea of what our life needs to look like or the birth order or a certain, hey, we want a one girl, one boy. And if it's not that way, I'm really upset. And realizing that yeah. when you let life play out and you let a little control, you let go of it a little bit, it's often way more beautiful than you could have, you, you could have yeah. done yourself, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I have so many questions, but <laughs> what happens in your experience? Now you were a social worker in your career at one point in time. In, wasn't typically, a, I, I've worked with kids and I've worked in, I wasn't a full blown social worker, but I've okay. worked with children and my degree is in social study. Yes. Okay. Got it. So in your experience, it's probably state by state, but typically when a child is uh, what age, do they not go to a foster home? Do they go to the group homes? Like that, that's something that I, I don't completely understand. Yeah, it, it does vary state by state. But to be honest, group homes exist because there aren't families, enough families or equipped families to take these children. Unfortunately, teenagers are often the biggest chunk of that. People are scared of teenagers. Um, they're, you know, they can make different life choices and they feel a little bit less able to control than a little one. And so group homes typically um, have teenagers in them. And so typically after the age of 12, and again, it varies, mm -hmm. a child is pretty likely to end up in a group home. My oldest daughter, she um, was nine, I, I think had just turned 10 when she was removed from her family and went into the system. And she was bounced around a bit and um, she was placed with her, her foster home before mine. I think she was 11. So she kind of got in just on the cusp of that. And so she was able to go through some of her teenage years in that home. But when we heard her story, one of our concerns was that she was, that was her future, was a group home. And that gave me a lot of fear. And again, this is before I knew, I knew her. But one of the first things I thought when I heard that about their story and what was in, in store for the future, I just was so concerned where she was going to end up. And there are some good group homes, but children need families, especially kids who come from broken ones. They need families and they need a lot of attention and people walking one-on-one -on -one with them. And they just, they need that. And so my daughter was so... She was so, I could really tell when we went home to Oregon the first time, she was so ecstatic to have a grandpa, our dad. And she was the grandpa this, grandpa that. It was like name dropping a celebrity, like, it was oh. like here and there. And it was the sweetest thing. And she quickly became like, her goal was to be grandpa's favorite. That was her goal. <laughs> she was going to accomplish that, whatever it took. <laughs> and so... She was just, oh, it was just the sweetest thing. And of course, dad was just eating it up. He loved the attention. And then she, so then he was giving her the attention that she, it was just adorable. It was so sweet. I was just melting the whole time we were there, but it was just so obvious. Like she just so badly wanted a family. And it was like uh, her coming into our family was just such a gift, such a gift to us. And so people often will say like, oh, they're so lucky to have you. And I will just challenge them and say, I really think that we're the lucky ones. Um, my kids are 
amazing. If you spend time around them, they're just balls of wonderful joy and energy. And we're just, our life is forever changed by them. So anyways, so yeah, that's, I guess, a long tangent on group homes. (laughs) No, no, I think that's really helpful. What, I mean, this is a really big question, but I feel like with your experience through foster care, through adoption, living in LA, working with youth most of your adult life, and your husband too, how do we fix this? How do we, what do you, what's your dream for foster care in the future? I mean, do you think of that a lot? Does that weigh on you? Because you see you, you live it. So I know a lot of your friends are foster parents and you have a, a big community there, but what's your hope for the future? Or is it just so such yeah. a big weighty issue that you don't even know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one that we talk about a lot because we'll get so frustrated. And of course, when you're frustrated with something, you want to fix it. And so we will brainstorm about that. And I think the answer is a lot of things. The system is very large and very broken. I think to make a top-down change, like we need a lot of policy that's going to change. And that's not my forte. So I can't speak to that. I do know there's a lot of things that need to be changed, though, especially in California. What I think the biggest change can be is communities actually embracing their community, the vulnerable in their community, Uh whether that's churches or whatever it is, I think it's our responsibility um, in whatever community we live in to analyze, look inside ourselves and what our gifts are and what we have to offer the vulnerable in our community. For some of us, that's finances. For some of us, that's baking meals. For some of us, that's opening our home. For others, it's showing up and babysitting for a little while. There's a lot of things that you can do. We need so many more foster parents, so many more, especially in Los Angeles. We do not have enough. But even where I'm from in Central Oregon, the numbers are so much smaller. I think there's 600. Currently, I think the last stat I read was 600 kids in care where I'm from, which is a small community, but there's only 120-something families. That's not enough. And that's a small town. And so we desperately need families to be able to open up their homes. But I think like, I can't ask everybody to be a foster parent and I don't think everyone should. Right. But I do think that we all have gifts. Some of us are really good cooks and bakers. And like in the last week, we have been surrounded by so many people all the time that allow us to be continue being foster parents. We would have burnt out long ago if it wasn't for the village that brings us meals, Venmo's us money for coffee, for sanity, or babysits my kids so I can go to therapy, Mm -hmm. or shows up and says, hey, I'm going to take the kids to the fair, and then I get to sit at home and take a nap, or chill or just be without children for a little while. For a little, yeah. Um, <laughs> we so all need things. that. <laughs> yes, exactly. We all need that. Just the normal things that a parent needs. But parenting kids with from trauma is, you know, some of my kids have special needs. And so they're just, it's like parenting on steroids is what it feels like. Right. But we just need a lot of support. And these Mm -hmm. kids need a lot of support. They need a village around them. They're in foster care because they did not have. And think about that for a second. So if something happened to my kids or your kids, 
we have so much family that would step forward and say, I'll take them, I'll take them, I'll take them. We would be fighting over these kids, right? Like there would be so many people. And for these kids to be coming from homes where there was no one, absolutely no one able or willing to take care of them, that shows ugh, the, ugh, it just, it's just so hard for me to wrap my brain around how isolated these families are and these kids are. Right. And right. so when we bring them in, like mm-hmm. we have our kids that we've mentored for a long time that are adults now that now come and mentor my kids. It's full circle and it's so beautiful. And we have family members that just take them under their wing and make them feel really special. Like they've always been here and they've always belonged. I think that's the only way we're going to slowly chip away at this really big beast of a system and this huge beast of a number is one kid by one kid and one family by one family and us all analyzing ourselves and saying, okay, what am I really good at? What gives me joy? We have a gal who is a fantastic cook and brings us meals, introduced me to this amazing grocery store that makes it so much cheaper to feel feed my family. <laughs> oh, So things like that are a huge gift. There's a lot. There's a lot of ways that people can get involved and help. That's the only way I see anything changing yeah. is if the army and the village, you know, get together and just take on these kids. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I know it's overused probably in, in churches, but it's the concept of time and talent and treasure. And yeah. how are we giving time, talent, and treasure right. to those that need it most around right. us? And yeah. I think that, and we all have different gifts and and that's why I really want for them for this podcast is I don't want to emphasize that everyone needs to live a life like mine or live a life like those that our guests here, but I want it to inspire people that we are all called to live boldly in our own path. And I think that that's what you guys are doing so amazingly. So if somebody wants to be a foster parent or is Uh exploring adoption or Mm -hmm. all of the above, where would you send them? Would you recommend a book? Do you have a podcast? Do you social media? Where, where does this person go besides obviously really reflecting on it? If they're faith-based praying about it, what, what do you recommend when they come to you? Yeah. So a couple things I would say first, if you're just exploring and you're trying to figure out if this is right for you, do what I did. And I felt this to be very helpful. I went on social media and I followed hashtags of fostering, foster, adopt. I just started clicking on hashtags and I found foster moms and foster and adoptive moms. And I just started following them and reading through their story and feeling like I knew them, but I didn't. I was watching them from a distance of trying to kind of dip my toe in to understand what I was in for. I felt like that was really helpful because before I did that, I was trying to find a book. And to be honest, I couldn't find one. And I'm sure there's more resources out there now. And I know there are, but it was just really hard. It was like, I'm trying to read a parenting book, but it doesn't apply for my kids because it's different. Mm-hmm. And so the, the closest thing I found was social media. And I fo- I found other foster parents. And that's why I started documenting my journey because I wanted to be able to do that for somebody else and to also process my own story in case somebody else was watching or had the bug, I just really wanted to be able to do that 
for, you know, for somebody else the way that these other mamas did that for me. So I would say that I would, if you know anybody in your community, reach out, say, can we grab coffee? Let me pick your brain and let them show you the ropes or point you in the right direction. And I would number one, say, build your village. Do not jump into this unless you have a strong army of people around you that will walk with you through the trenches because it is very, very hard. Mm -hmm. It is the best thing I have ever done and I would not change it for anything, but it is also the hardest thing that I've ever done. Parenting kids from trauma is no joke. Reunifying children that we have parented for two and a half years is, is not easy. And so I would just say you need your village. And if you want to do this long term, if you want to come out with your head above water, you need right. people that are going to walk through those trenches with you. And so reach out to your friends or your church community or whatever your community is to say like, hey, I'm thinking about this. Would you be down to be a babysitter for us? Mm-hmm. And most people would say, yes, I would love to do that. I want to be involved, but I don't know how. And so, or a meal trainer that keeps going, that doesn't end after placement. <laughs> right, right. Can you sign up forever? <laughs> Please, every Friday for the rest of 2020. That'd be great. <laughs> Just build your village. That's the number one advice that I have for you. And then the next step is to start looking at agencies in your area. Find a foster parent that you can trust or ask questions, but find agencies in your area and date them because having a good agency is really important because they'll have your back through all of this. They'll be walking with you as well. So that's the Uh, advice that I would give. And Christy, if people wanted to follow your journey, is your journey private or can people follow you um, on social media and your foster care story and how do they find you? Yeah, they can. So it's kind of funny when you are, some people are like, why don't you show your kids' faces? That's really weird. (laughs) But for confidentiality, I can't show their faces yet. Once their, um, our two oldest are adopted, I will, I will be able to, and I'm really excited for that day because they're gorgeous and I can't wait for everybody to see them. And so, yeah, so yes, I do share our story. I share it in a way that keeps their story confidential and their names and their faces confidential. But um, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as only the number one Christy, K-R-I-S-T-I. That's where I'm at. You can find me. That's been my um, name or my Instagram handle, or I guess it wasn't Instagram back then, but that was my first email ever when I was trying to find an email address. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I did not know this story. (laughs) I was so frustrated because I kept typing things into, I think it was Gmail or Yahoo. I don't remember what it was. I kept typing in things, trying to find like Christy or Christy S or like, you know, trying to find, I didn't want to be silly, you know, because back then everybody had all these like weird I don't know, weird email names. And I didn't want to have, yeah, like they had all these numbers and stuff. I just didn't want to do that. And so I was so annoyed that I was like, what? So many people have my names and my initials. How is this possible? I'm like, I'm the only Christy. And I typed that in kind of as a like, just being annoying. Like, like, this is my, (laughs) I'm rebelling against the system. And it was free. The only one Christy, it was there. And I was like, well, I guess that's my handle. (laughs) That's your, that's your handle. Here, I thought it was just Jerry's, like your husband's like, oh, only one Christy for me. (laughs) No, it was because I was rebelling against the system and really annoyed that other people had my name. And anyway, so I've just kept that. And so that's why I'm not super vain and or anything like that. (laughs) Oh, I, no, I love it. I love it. I love this story. I did not know this story. Well, 
This has been such a gift for me because yes, you are my sister. Yes, I of course know a lot about your journey, but I feel like we're both busy moms and lead busy lives. And sometimes just getting to talk through it, it's just been such a gift for me today. And you inspire me in so many ways, even though you're my little sister, and but you are so wise beyond your years. Thank you. To end today, I guess I know you told about time and talent and treasure. What's one thing that you would challenge all of us who may not be called to being a foster parent or may not be called to adoption today, but maybe in the future we might be. But what would you challenge listeners to today as we close this interview? I would just say that you have gifts that you were given, whether it's through environment, nature, nurture, whatever it was. You have gifts right now today. So if this is something that you want to do in 10 years, figure out if those gifts are opening your home today, because that could be the answer. But it also could be that your gifts can be benefit in a different way. Mm-hmm. I know that I get really, and I can't send myself down this track, but we thought about foster care for a long time before we signed up and started the classes. We started thinking about foster care, started talking about it about five, six years ago. That's when we started the journey. And that's when my two oldest went into foster care. And so I think about that all the time. Like if we would have just stepped in, they could have been with us and they wouldn't have had to go through all this trauma, secondary trauma that they experienced on top of their trauma from their first family. And so I like that. I can't go down that road too much. It does really bug me when I think about if I just wouldn't have been so scared if I just would have jumped in when I knew that that was where we were going. What if, you know, what if, what if? So I would just say that I would encourage you to not let the fear of this big unknown thing that you want or desire, don't let the fear hold you back, but really truly analyze your gifts and your resources. That's really important and what you have to give today. So yeah, that's what I would say. Oh, I love that. And it's so ironic because you don't know this, but my first interview for Living Your Big Bold Life, the advice from... I can't say who it is, even though by the time this comes out, it will say who it is. Her advice was let go of the fear. And it had nothing to do with foster care or adoption. It was about writing and her health. Anyway, so I love that. Well, thank you for your time. I know you're so busy and I love you so very much. Thanks for being here, Christy. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. For more motivation on living boldly, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.